with a grateful and a faithful heart. Yes, Lord. So God, forgive us when we don't thank you in the way that we should. Mm. That we don't acknowledge your hand and you moving, God. Yes. We know that you are not a God of coincidence, but you are a God of providence. So Father, I pray that <coughs> for everything, God, that we would be thankful. Yes. That we would come to you with a grateful heart. First and foremost, we're grateful for Jesus. Mm. For his salvation work on the cross. Yes, Lord. God, for his atoning blood. Thank you, Father. That made a way where there was no way. And God, we thank you for provision. We thank you for health. We thank you for your body. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Yes. We thank you for your word that is alive and active. Thank you, Father. God, as we move and as we breathe and as mm. we interact, God, may people be able to see and hear. God, that we honor you. Yes, Lord. That we live for you. That we are living sacrifices. Mm. God, all because you are holy, holy, holy. Mm. Thank you, Lord. So God, in our time today, I pray that we would come to you. God, that we know that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Yes, Lord. So God, we submit what we are carrying at your feet, Father. Yes. We come in this focused time of worship. I pray, God, that you would strengthen Rob, Lord. That you would open his lungs, Father, as he brings forth your word this morning, God. I pray, Father, that it would fall on good soil. That we, Father, would be responsive. Yes, Lord. And that we would be quick to move and we would be encouraged, Holy Spirit. Yes, Father. In everything we give thanks. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's worship the living Lord. Amen. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, then I'm on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know. Everything I need, you got. There's honey in the rock.
of our desire God that we would truly know you Father and who you are God we thank you Lord Jesus that your mercies are new every morning Father we thank you God that your love endures forever we thank you God that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son Jesus and that, Father, it's your, not, it's your desire that none should perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, your Son, the Messiah, the One who was resurrected, who defeated sin and death, the One in whom you laid our punishment upon so that we could be reconciled back to you. As Romans 5, 1 declares, now therefore we are at peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That peace. God, the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's nothing of us, but it's all of you. It's nothing of our works, but it's all of what Christ has accomplished. God, that we no longer have to be the, the rebellious people, the broken people. But that, God, we are a reconciled people. We are your people. And we know, Father, that your word declares that it's your 
purpose and it's your design to have a people that you will call your own and in return they will call you their God. Oh God, may we be accounted among them. So at the end of our days, God, we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. So Father, we thank you yet for another opportunity to come together, to meet, to open your word, Father, to sit at your feet, for the Holy Spirit to to minister to each one of us, God, you know exactly where we all are at and what we each individually need. So, Father, we thank you for a fresh outpouring, for conviction, Father, for your love, your great love towards us, that you call us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity of fellowship, Lord. May we treasure it and honor you this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Community, two definitions I've been holding up over this past year. The first one, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. (coughs) The second one, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. So let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Scriptures to encourage you to persevere in community and understanding the importance of community. As we know, there's a lot of different communities throughout the earth, but the specific community we're talking about is the Christian community. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 12 is where I'm heading. And as I've been encouraging us... Jesus is the center of the Christian community. Apart from Jesus, we have no community. We're no different than the other communities out there striving for some type of identity. But in the Christian community, we know our identity. It is in Christ and Christ alone. The call of a disciple. Jesus lays it out clearly. If you're going to follow me, he says, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It is no longer I that live, but it's Christ living in and through me. See, we come together as the church to worship the one in whom we belong in. The Bible tells us that each Christian, if you are a Christian, you are in Christ. You are seated with Christ. You have the victory of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You have all authority that heaven has. It's all at your disposal because you are a child of God. You've been engrafted into the body of Christ. He is the head. We are the body. We make up many parts. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts among us so that collectively We are about our Father's business. See, in the Christian community, it's not about my business or your business or their business or her business or his business. No, it's about Christ. It's about his business. It's the Father's business to see the will of the Lord done in the land of the living. In the land of the living. And a few weeks ago, I shared with you from Isaiah, Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God. He was standing in the presence 
of God Almighty. And remember what he cried out, I am doomed. Here he was, a man of God, called of God. He was the prophet of God in that generation. And now he has this revelation of being in the throne room of God. And he says, I am doomed. You are holy, holy, holy. I'm doomed. But praise be to God, the scripture didn't stop there. God knows. God knows each and every single one of us. He knows that we are a rebellious creation towards Him. And so in that moment, God cleansed Him. As the serpent flew, the angel flew towards Him, touched His lips, He was cleansed. He was made whole, made complete. And in that next moment, God says, who shall we send? And so Isaiah goes from seeing himself as doomed, as one who is cleansed, and then he stands and says, here I am, send me. Send me to do your will. And so as it was then, so it is today for us to see ourselves as doomed. That's the state and the condition in which we are born into. A sinful, rebellious nature. And when we see ourselves, when we see that, the way that we respond is not to continue to hide from God or to run from God. No, it's for us to humble ourselves before the living God. State our condition and receive His great salvation through His Son, Jesus. The only way that we can be cleansed, forgiven, made whole, made right, made at peace with the One who created us. And then our identity changes. Remember what the Bible says? How does He transform us? By renewing our mind. (coughs) Then we don't have to stay doomed. (laughs) We can get up. Then we can say, here I am, Lord, send me. Not because of me, but because all that you've done through Christ. See, there's freedom that comes to a true believer. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Is free indeed. And so we collectively come in our freedom in Christ to worship Him. That we would be the people of God. Representing Christ. We are Christ ambassadors. We are serving and loving others. As He served and loved them. He understood our nature. And let us not forget our nature. And that's what compels us as the Christian community to go forth and declare the goodness of God in the land of the living, to see people restored to Christ. And I keep encouraging us, we must care more about people's eternities than their temporalness. Than their temporalness. And we are at war. 
We are at war, you all. And I keep telling us, the way we've done church, and not just us, but just throughout the earth, the way church has been done, it can't, keep, can't go on any longer. There's been a shift in the heavenly realms over the past years. And there's an awakening taking place. And I keep telling you, the level of darkness is on a rise. And as I shared with you last week, the earth and the people of the earth, those who aren't in Christ, they are preparing for a great evil. But the church, she's not preparing for that great evil. She's not living like an earthly bound citizen of earth. No, no, no. She's preparing for the great harvest, the great feast. The return of the great God. Her bridegroom is coming for her. And so you have these two paths. The wicked and the righteous. And Jesus himself says that that, that, that path is narrow. That road is narrow to him. But the path to hell is wide. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who are more consumed with themselves than they are with Christ. And we have work to do, you all, to go forth and to share the good news. See, darkness can never extinguish the light. But what we do understand, and as we have been told through the Word of God, that as we see the level of darkness rising, it's going to try to snuff out the light. It's, they're going to try to push Christians out of society. We're the troublemakers. We're the issue. Try as they might. They can't extinguish the light. And so we have to do better in preparing ourselves and our community for what's to come. For what's to come. And the days and the, and the ages and the time that's ahead of us, we understand. If our eyes have been opened to truth, we understand this is far greater than us. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose. And He has designed the church to accomplish his purpose. His purpose. Remember, he humbled himself and he became a servant so that the created could know the, their creator. You see, everyone's searching for something, you all. There's that deep longing in everyone who has been born to connect, to, to feel a place of wholeness and acceptance. But we're only going to find that in Christ. We're only going to find that in the one who created us, who formed us, who fashioned us, who knew us, and who longs to commune with us. And that's why as we started this study on Friday nights, Behold Your God, I'm going to challenge you, and as I've been praying for us, to know our God. Because when you know your God, 
when you know him, you will thirst for him. You will hunger for him. You're not going to settle for what the temporalness offers. No, you're going to long for that which is eternal. You're going to have an eternal, eternal perspective. You know, I shared with you last week, and I don't know if it, if it settled in yet, but this Word of God, the living Word of God, reveals Christ to us. Genesis to Revelation, it reveals Christ to us. And what do we know of Christ? He, he's the Son of God. He, he rose from the dead. He, he humbled Himself. He's the second in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God so loved the world that He gave Christ. He gave Jesus. That whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We know that there's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. Many will try to get around Jesus to get to the Father, but no, 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 there's only one way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And what is this Word of God, the active living Word? What else does it expose? Our nature. From Genesis to Revelation, that we are a rebellious creature. It, there's no error found in God. God is good. The error is within us. The error is within us. And so we live our lives fighting and wrestling against the one who wants to deliver us, who has all of life for us, and yet we slap his hand away and we say, no, I'm God. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live how I want. And I don't care about you or anyone else. It's all for me, myself, and I. And what we actually do, what this nature actually does, is it, it devours itself. And over the years, I've told you that the flesh only knows one thing, and it is to die. And so it feeds off that which kills it. And so it's the most craziest thing when your eyes are open and you recognize it, and you go, wait a minute, I'm doing this to myself? I remember years ago when that revelation hit me. Like, I'm doing this to myself. It's not the abuse I took. It's not this. It's not that. It's not them. It's not. It's me. And I'm fighting against the only one that can deliver me. That can cleanse me. I want you to think of that word. You're cleansed. You see, in Christ, you're not bringing the baggage with you. You're cleansed. You're forgiven. The Bible says he doesn't even remember it. And boy, would it do us good to, to recognize that. That's the level of freedom that you're bringing me to, God? But don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know this, 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 and this about me? And he says, yes. <laughs> but you're mine. So come from that place and enter in and receive all that I have for you. See, it's a complete 
restoration. It's a new way of living. It's like we were sharing a few weeks ago. You put off the old, you put on the new. The Bible's very clear. It is a life. You're not just to be here, you're to be a doer. The Bible says if you're a thief, quit stealing. Work hard and give generously. If you're a liar, stop lying and start telling the truth. Stop doing what you once did and learn now how to live in the way that you were designed to live, to please God. So the Word of God exposes, first and foremost, who He is. And then secondly, who we are. We are doomed apart from Christ. But the good news that we have is to go forth and to share with others that Christ is all that we need and what He's accomplished for us. Again, this is a war We are behind enemy lines. The world will never accept us. (laughs) Your flesh will always be at war with the spirit that's in you. This realm in which we cannot see desires to devour us. But the word of God comforts us and tells us, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And that we are covered by the blood of Christ, and that we are protected by the name of Christ, by the name of Jesus. And so we can get up and walk upright amongst a wicked and perverse generation. Not pointing to ourselves, but pointing to Jesus. And we have got to start collectively and individually battling, (laughs) taking ground, standing firm, Realizing this is an all-out war for the souls of man. Darkness wants to advance, but let your light so shine that it exposes the fruitless deeds of darkness and say, not on my watch, not with me any longer. This is not who I am. This is who I am because of Christ. And start taking ground. And start taking ground. Don't give up what you've been given. Don't go sell your birthright for temporal pleasures. You, we have got to learn to collectively stand as a community in the faith and the hope that we have in the risen Savior in whom we say we belong to. To ultimately see The will of the Father done. Done. And so as you think of community, it's more than just showing up to church. No. We're coming together collectively to worship the head of the body. To worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To seek Him collectively. To say, God, do it among us. And then send it out so that we can live it among them. And collectively, God, let us honor you. Let us love you. Let us know you. Let us trust you. Because we believe that you are a good God. So these scriptures that I'm giving you, these scriptures and I hope that would provoke thought and a desire for community, 
Like these are scriptures we've heard over the year, and now we're going in to the ninth month. We're almost into the tenth month. And if you don't have a desire to have a greater level of community with the church, with Christians, like I'm going to challenge you. Seek God for that. It's nothing that you can conjure up yourself. It comes from a true nature of one who has been born again in Christ. To say, God, I finally belong. Here I am, Lord. Not only send me, but send us. So Romans chapter 1, verse 11 through 12. For I long, Paul said this, to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. Oh, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. He longs to be among the fellowship. He wants to encourage them. He he, he wants to listen to how it was worded there. Help you grow strong in the Lord. Not strong in yourself. Not giving you the ten steps to a better life now. No, no. He wants you to grow strong in the Lord. He wants to encourage them. To see them grow in their faith. But I love the ending of that. But I also want to be encouraged by yours. And that's how it should be when we come into community. You're just not feeding off one person or two people or this person or that person. And putting people on platforms. No, no, no. We're all at the same level. And we should be like iron sharpening iron. Encouraging each other, edifying each other, building each other up. Not wearing masks, not trying to be holy when we're not. Not trying to live away in front of others when we're not actually living it by ourselves. Like we need to be people of integrity. We need to be people that we understand that we were broken once. But now we're whole. We're not perfect. And that's why I've always told you, expose the fruitless deeds of the darkness. We don't have to come and pretend. The reality, it's an all-out war. And it's getting crazier and crazier out there. People are dropping to the wayside, left and right, left and right, left and right. They're in one day, they're out the next. The level of deception is rising up throughout the earth. And it's the most craziest thing. And if you're not guarding your heart, if you're not trusting in Jesus... If you're not living as you should, the Bible is very clear. You're going to be swept away. And the filth that's out there, as the deception is rising, as the the level of anger and the occult and murder and strife, all of it is rising up. But I love it when the Word of God says that the Bible tells us that He raises up a standard against it. It says when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against him. And that standard is righteousness. That, same, that standard is truth. 
that standard in our generation is the church empowered by the Holy Spirit to say, not on my watch. And so we're submitted to Christ and we're submitted to each other. We come not just to take, but we come to say, no, I long to encourage you, sister. I long to encourage you, brother, to grow strong in the Lord. To grow strong in the Lord. Not coddle you, not pat you on your back, not play games with you, but are you growing in Christ? Are you loving Christ more? Because if not, sister, if not, brother, you are going to be swept away. Get your roots rooted in Christ. And that is a standard for all of us. It's for all of us because that's his standard. And so I love it. This is the Apostle Paul. He could have said, I long to see you and to encourage you and to see you grow in the Lord, and leave it at that. And we all probably would have been, okay, Paul. But do you see his humility to say, and wow, I long to be encouraged by you. So it is in the community. Go to John 15. (coughs) John 15, verse 12 through 13. John 15, verse 12 through 13. This is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love you all. Ultimately, that's God's desire. That's God's plan. God is love. He has purposed his love to be displayed to his creation. And so he calls us to reflect him. So love each other. This is my commandment. And the same way I have loved you. Do you understand? That's, a, that's not man's. That's not a preacher setting the standard. That's, that's Jesus himself. Like, Here's the standard for each of you. Not just for some of you, not just for one or two. No, for all of you. Love each other as I have loved you. There is no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. To love each other. Think of others before you think of yourself. This is the Christian life, you all. And it's not easily lived in our flesh. And that's why Paul says, why are you trying to live out in your flesh what you received in your spirit? Because your old nature will not go along with this. See, we have to understand that. That old nature is why Galatians 5 tells us the spirit and the flesh, they war against each other. Your old nature is not going to love Christ. Your old nature loves religion. It loves the concept. It'll go along with religion. But when reality is faced, it will spit in the face of God. It's like I said last week. 
The religious leaders, they crucified Christ, their Messiah, because they wanted to keep their position. And that's what religious people do. They'll be they'll quit to worship one second. Oh, but now what are you saying I have to do? Yeah, no, I don't want to. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. And so we got to be mindful. And that's why we don't point our fingers at people. The fingers should be pointed back at us because in and of ourselves, that's what we would do. That's what we would do. In and of ourselves, we would turn from the living God. But because of Christ, and he, we understand what he's saying here, like, I'm showing you how to live. I'm calling you to this. If you consider the cost, then follow me. But as I said earlier, if you follow him, then you must deny yourself, pick up the cross, and follow him. You are to be, you are to be maturing, becoming more Christ-like. So how are you doing with loving you all? Loving each other. First and foremost, loving God. But these are Jesus' words. Love them like I've loved you. And that's why I've always encouraged you all. You can't give others what you don't have. That's why it has to start here first. You have to understand really the reality of salvation and who he is to behold your God, to know your God, to, to understand what you have received so freely that you are not called to withhold it from others. Now, if they don't want it, that's their choice. Move on. Move on. Don't get offended. Don't get weak-willed. Don't back up. Keep moving forward. Because your confidence is not in you. Your confidence is in Christ and in Christ alone. And so I love these scriptures. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. This is for the community. Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of what? Love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Did we hear that? Have we heard it? How are we responding to this? Let us hold tightly without wavering, without giving up. To the hope we affirm. For God, I'm sorry, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. How are you doing with that with each other? How are you thinking of ways to motivate each other? to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. That's what I keep saying. We, we can't look at church and say, oh, I'll get there when I can. No, no. 
we got to realize there's something about being together. There's something about loving each other. There's something about encouraging each other, edifying each other, and building each other up to accomplish what the Lord has called us to. See, far too long we've made church about us. We come seeking for ourselves. People flood in, and then they flood right back out, and they live self-willed lives and not a God-willed life. And when you know your God, you'll live differently because you're empowered supernaturally by God because if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, God in you. So why the Bible says, do not live a life that grieves Him. The Holy Spirit, He knows what we're doing. And we ought not to be living lives that are grieving Him. If you were in Christ, you received Christ, you received the Holy Spirit, it's time to be led by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if you walk in the Spirit habitually, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those desires are always there. The Bible tells us where does sin come from? From the desires that are from within. And so when temptation triggers up, no, no, the Bible tells us he makes a way out of every temptation. You can live a victorious life in Christ if you choose to obey Christ. If you choose to walk in the Holy Spirit. But when we see ourselves not walking in the Spirit, we don't play the weird beat-up game. Oh, this is bad, this is hard, this is this, this is that. No, we just recognize that's the old person. And in that state, I am doomed. But I'm not there any longer. I've been cleansed. I've been made right with God through Jesus Christ. I can repent, I can get up, and I can move forward. See, that's why I keep encouraging you all. You have to talk to yourselves. You have to encourage yourselves in the things of God. And you have to know your God. But I love that. Think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So there's your homework for this week. If that's not something within you already, then be challenged this week to seek the Lord to mature you in this. Like, God, how can I love them better? God, how can I encourage them in love, in acts of love? How can I encourage them for better works, for good works in their lives? And then let us not neglect in meeting, but encourage one another. And listen to this. This was written way back then. This This is generations that have passed since these words were penned, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. It's drawing near. I mean, listen, even the people of the earth, the people who are not in Christ, those who are lost, they know something's happening in the realm, the spirit realm. They know something's happening to the earth. You can go out there and have spiritual conversations with people. Oh, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers of Christ are few. That's not how it should be. I mean, you could just look around and people are going, what's happening? What's going on? And the level of deception is running amok. 
So that's why the word of God says, how will they know that we truly belong to him? Because of our love for one another. Because the people on the outside look in and go, wow, I know y'all, I know y'all's past. I know everything about y'all. And you all don't even fit together. But man, you all are close. Like, what is it? What is it that you all have? Because in and of yourselves, you wouldn't be coming together. But what is it? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. We're not holding our past against each other, though we could. If I looked at Carrie and I and conjured up everything that I can remember what she did to me, she wouldn't be sitting there in and of myself. But I don't look at her that way. I don't even give it a thought. Even when other people are telling me, what are you crazy? What are you crazy? Why is she back in your life? But God. But God. But God. Of all my years as a Christian, if I focus on caring and how she severely wounded me, if that's all I held on to, what would that say about me? And ultimately, what would it say about the one in whom I say I belong to? No, he forgave me. He knew, you know, he knows me. He knows what I would do if I was in charge. I'm no different than her. I've wounded people. I've hurt people. I've done things. I've said things. So who am I not to forgive? I know she doesn't like to be put on the spot, but you know, when I can look at her and I can realize, wow, God, you know, like that was a deep thrust into my back to wound me. But God, praise be to God, you heal us. You healed me. So God, if you healed me, who am I to hold healing from her? Who am I, God? I'm nobody. So God, let me see her as you see her. Let me love her as you love her. Let my desire and my will for her to be restored and to be free. See, that's how we have to do for each other, you all. That's how we have to do for each other. And that should be the example that we're setting. So people on the outside, like there's people who, who just randomly stop me. Oh, how care, how's Carrie doing? Does she still come to your church? Oh, yes. And they're just flabbergasted. Well, praise God, isn't that awesome? Yeah, God is great. You know? How would they know that we belong to Him? By our love for one another. By our love for one another. Because in and of ourselves, we won't forgive. In and of ourselves, we won't want to see restoration. In and of ourselves, we would hold it against each other. All right? All right?
In and of ourselves, that's what we would do. How dare you think that you can sit there? You know? For Norma to pick up the phone after I told her, Norma, you're not allowed to be here. You go and fulfill your flesh and all that you want, but you're not doing it here among us. I love you enough to set you out. And she knew that ultimately, first Christ loved her, but that I love her. So she didn't hesitate to pick up the phone and say, can we meet? She could have laid out all of her accusations and anger towards me and hurt towards me, and I never did this for her, and I this, and I put her out. And she, but that's it. She just wanted Jesus. Like, Jesus is working in my life. Okay? And I didn't bring up her past. I didn't say, well, what about this? Oh, what, are you going to be in for a couple months and you're going to be right back out running a month? No, 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 no. There was an awakening. And I didn't hold the past against her every time she wanted to kill me and my family and us sitting in here. People say, what, are you crazy bringing her into your home? What do you mean? Why wouldn't I? Well, I don't know if that's wise or if that's discerning. Oh, it's wise and discerning. Because I see there's a hunger there. Not for us, but first for God. And then not only that, there's growth. And so this is the expression of love, you all. This is the expression of love. That we're loving each other. That we're encouraging other towards acts of love and acts of service. To freely give what we have received. But what if they hurt me again? Then get up from it. Don't let it define you. How many times are we supposed to forgive? 70 times 7. It's a continual cycle. As long as it's true repentance. And not just saying, oh, I'm sorry. Because I got caught. No, there's a genuine like, oh, I'm disgusted with myself. I am so sorry. I've gone to God. I first saw my condition before Him. And as I've restored it with Him as Through Christ, I am restored and he has forgiven me. I want to come to you and say, I am sorry. I am sorry. Because you don't want to keep a cycle of of, of weirdness. When I train leaders at work, I always tell them boundaries. You You need to know how to set up boundaries. If you're allowing craziness to go on in your team, don't blame your team members. It's you. First of all, they come and they sit down, well, this is going on, this is going on. I say, well, then how have you addressed it? Because you're allowing it. So you have to set boundaries. So don't, don't do weird things with Scripture to keep you codependent. There's a level of freedom that comes. There's a level of wholeness. And the community thrives off of it, or at least they should. But unfortunately, what we are seeing in the Christian community is people rather just go in, 
give us something that tickles our ears, and then goes right back out. But that's not what we're seeing in Scripture, you all. I believe in our generation, the, the Spirit of God is moving throughout the earth, cultivating a desire for people to say, there's so much more needed in the church, in its community, its fellowship, to be restored to her. Not just services, not just programs, but a group of people whose lives have been impacted by the Almighty God learning how to live together. Not perfectly, but collectively growing and maturing. Go to First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. But you are not like that. Those who make others stumble. If you look at the scriptures before this portion of scripture. You are not like that for you are a chosen people. A royal, you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Do you think of yourselves this way, you all? See, I'm telling you, you've got to be mindful of what you're speaking over your life and what you're allowing others to speak over you. But I keep telling you, you have got to pull yourself in front of a mirror and you need to look at that old man, you need to look at that old woman and remind it you're dead. No, no, I'm not giving in to your foolishness. I'm not giving in to your desires. I'm not giving in to your weakness. I'm not giving in to your woundings. I'm not giving in to any of that. Because I know if I did, I know where you're leading me. But I'm a child of God. And I, and I may still have issues that are prominent in my life. But I can tell you one thing. I'm denying myself to them. And the more that I'm denying myself, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And he will strengthen me. He will renew my mind so that I won't continue down that path, but I'll walk his path and bring glory to him. I will put off what is old and put on what is new. And so let me remind you, pull out this scripture. But I'm not like that. For I am a chosen people, part of a chosen people. I'm part of a royal priesthood. I am God's very own possession. And as a result, I can show others the goodness of God. For he has called me out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I once, verse 10, I once had no identity, but now I am God's person. I am part of God's people. I once had no mercy, but I have received the mercy of God. Do you believe it? It just can't be a story. This is the living word of God. These words are to transform you, to free you from that nature that is trying to consume you. To destroy you. So you can be liberated through Christ. There is freedom that comes from Christ and Christ alone. It is His way. It is His truth. 
It is his life. Go to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to get to our scriptures today, even though you said, but you're in scripture. Well, I know, but these scriptures I'm going to give you before we start walking through the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm and Proverbs. This portion of scriptures are scriptures on putting God first. I've had a greater level and hunger to really feed you all, to really give you scriptures so that you can take back during the week as you receive the notes, sit down with them, pray through them, gird yourself up to live out a Christian life. And so today we're focusing on scriptures on putting God first. And so Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Live righteously. Like one that is right before God. Not through my works. How are we made right before God? Through Christ. So I'm identifying what Christ has done through the work of the cross and the power of his resurrection. And so I don't have to labor in my own strength to be right before God. No, I can just repent and freely receive and get up from that old man, from that old woman. Put them down. You have been crucified with Christ. And so I can live in a way. And so how am I to put God first? Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he said, but I don't have a desire. Well, you just asking that question shows that the Holy Spirit's working in you. And so where you're lacking, ask. God, I'm sorry that I don't have a desire to seek your kingdom. God, forgive me. But God, you revealed this to my heart, not to beat me up. So God, if that's what you're revealing that I don't have a desire for that, but then God, would you grow that in me? Lord, would you just walk with me and show me what that looks like? Change my heart and my attitudes and my mindsets. And God, teach me to walk in a way that seeks your kingdom first. You see, there's a way to commune with God, to receive from God, not just to keep going on with the dictates of the flesh, but a way to really live and to honor God. Go to Matthew 10, 38 through 39. Matthew 10, 38 through 39. If you refuse to take up your cross, this is Jesus' words, and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Remember, he's the author of life, you all. He knows. He's not going to force you. But he's telling you, listen, if you refuse to take up your cross, if you refuse what I'm calling you to, you're not worthy of being mine. And if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. That's why I keep telling you all, why would you trade his love for his wrath. What on earth would you desire to be swallowed up in the wrath of God instead of be swallowed up in the love of God? (laughs) 
But if you give up your life for me, he says, you'll find it. Because he's the author of life. A whole new life is going to come forth. It's not going to be your best life now. But a whole new way of living will come forth. He said, because in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. Stop living like those still bound by it. No, no, no. Cast your cares upon me. He is the author. He's the finisher of your faith. Go to Matthew 13, verse 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned so he got, so he, to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a... Turn the page. Merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. The kingdom of God. Like you get rid of everything you have and just treasure this that you have found. The kingdom of God. We are the people of God if we are in Christ and we have been established in his kingdom. And we're not going to trade our identity away. We're just not going to give up our position to feast on what's before us. See, we've all lived that way long enough to say, no, we're done. We're done. Come at me as you want, but I'm grounded and rooted in Christ, not prideful and arrogant in and of myself, but because of what Christ has done. I can trust him. He's got me. Oh, it's a whole new way of living. Go to Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. Again, scriptures to encourage you on putting God first. Before I make decisions, before I get into my day, as I'm going through my day, am I loving God first? Are the choices and decisions and what I'm doing with my life, is that is what is it being exemplified? Because I must love the Lord, my God, with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind. With my whole being. You see, this is the first and greatest commandment. If I'm not doing that, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. He needs to be first. And it's not a burden to have him first. See, when we consider the Christian life a burden, we're doing it in the flesh. Remember, the flesh hates it. But when you're walking it out in the Spirit, there's a freedom that comes to it. And again, if you're saying, well, I don't live that way. I don't know how to love God. Well, He's revealing that to you so that you would depend on Him to put it in you. See, we have not because we've asked not. Like, God, I don't know if I love you with my whole heart, soul, mind, body, my whole being. So you don't beat yourself up. You just go, but if you're showing me that I'm not living that way, well then, you love me because you're showing me, you're revealing that to me. So okay, if you're revealing that to me, then God, I'm going to say I'm sorry. 
So help me. Help me grow in this. Help me learn what it's like to make right decisions. And if I've done wrong, help me to ask for forgiveness, first to you and then to others. My God, I just, I don't have to live in bondage or in slavery any longer. You don't keep me there. You call me out from it. So again, you, you don't have to beat yourself up, but this is the standard of God. And if he, when he reveals that, I remember when, those days when he revealed it to me. I was just like, and I couldn't beat myself up because I knew who I was. I knew how much I hated him. I knew how much I hated the church. I knew how much I lived against him. But you're showing me you love me? And then you're calling me to love you? I don't know if I can. But all right. I'm going to trust you, God. So work it in me, because in and of myself, I won't. In and of myself, I won't. I will continue to do what I want to do. But if you're telling me this is how I'm to live now, then have your way. Because I know the old me won't live this way. But you say in your word that you've made all things new, that I am a new creation. So now, how then shall I live? Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Again, take these scriptures, sit down with them this week, meditate upon them, pray upon them, put them in practice in your life. Ephesians 1 verse 22 through 23, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It has made, <coughs> it is made full and complete. Listen to this, by who? Not by their works. Not by their programs. But by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Oh, that we would put God first. Go to Colossians. Yvette's favorite book. Go to Colossians chapter 3. You'll find it this morning. Verse 17. (laughs) Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. And whatever you do, not when you want to, not when you feel spiritual, not when you're around Christians, but whatever you do or say, Do or say. Do or say. Do it as a representative. See, if you're calling yourself a Christian, do you understand that you are representing Jesus? And then to give thanks through Him to God the Father. Go to um, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Here's one scripture to put up this week. Keep it in front of us. You must not have any other God but me. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. 
verse 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Go to verses 9 and 10 in Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Then He will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. He will provide. Like you give to the Lord. You're not stingy, but you just freely give as the Lord calls because you can trust that He is going to care for His own. Go to Psalm, the last one. Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Verse 4, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. The one thing I ask, the one thing I seek the most is to be in the presence of God, you all. Put God first. The Heidelberg Catechism, this tool that I've introduced to you this year in hopes to equip you to be able to defend the faith. We're talking about (coughs) communion today. So these are questions that are asked. People may not ask you specifically these questions verbatim, but they could ask you about communion, what it means to to a Christian and to the body of Christ. And you should be able to be equipped to discuss and to share the ordinances of the church. And so when we look at the Holy Supper of Jesus Christ, this question, how does the Holy Supper communion remind and assure you that you share in Christ one sacrifice on the cross and in all of his benefits? And here's the answer. And so when you get the notes, you get all the scriptures that these answers come from. And that's what I've been challenging you to grow this year. You have to take these scriptures. You have to sit down with them. You have to write them out. You have to highlight them. You've got to meditate upon them. You've got to tuck them and hide them in your heart so that you're able to give the answer. So here's the answer. In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of Him. With this command come these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the one who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, So surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. 
Well, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? Well, here's the answer. It means to accept, and I love this, with a believing heart, the entire suffering and death of Christ, and thereby to receive forgiveness of sins, and hear this again, eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. And you say, man, that's a lot. Oh, no, it is. You won't take communion again and, and how you used to take it. When you really sit down, you understand, as you should as a Christian, the blessed hope that we have when we partake of the Lord's Supper. The richness of it. The hope of eternal life. What he accomplished through the broken, his broken body and the blood that he shed for us. And then finally... Where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat this broken bread and drink this cup? Well, here's the answer. In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul in these words. The cup of blessing that we bless, is, is, is it not a sharing of the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we are many, are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. You see, the word broken, well, let me back up. If the word broken does not appear in the NRS version text, but it was present in the original German of the Heidelberg Catechism. So that's just a side note, just in case you're looking at your translation. But this tool, the Heidelberg Catechism, I know it's a lot. I know it may seem up here like, wow, that's just too much. But as I, as I shared with you all about this, even this new study on Friday night, sometimes you got to push through what your flesh doesn't want. Your flesh is not going to want to go deeper in the things of God. Your flesh are going to look at maybe the Heidelberg Catechism, maybe your workbook on from Friday night, and you may say, this is too much. Like, they understand it, but I don't. But don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to you. Again, you're looking at an uneducated man. I hated school. I hated to study. I hated to read. (laughs) But man, I needed to grow as a Christian. And I I didn't want to depend on man to teach me. I wanted to know God. And so I had to sit down with the word of God. It was, it was, what, what is this? I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. When I remember doing my first studies, none of that made sense to me. But I said to myself, self, you're not going to remain ignorant. 
Flesh, you have worked me over and over and over to keep me from growing up. So whatever it takes, God, I'm pressing in. I will read even if the words don't make sense or they come out of my mouth wrong. I will press in. I will ask questions. I will engage. You will not keep me from the knowledge of God. You will not keep me, as I'm telling myself, of beholding my God. Of course it doesn't make sense to me. It won't because I'm in my flesh. Oh, but I'll grow in my spirit. I'll learn to discipline myself. I'll learn to get up and say, oh no, not today. I'm not beating myself up. No, 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 no. I'm pressing in and I'm pressing on because God started this work in me. I wasn't looking for this. But God, you started it. And so God, you will finish it. So there's the hope and there's the rejoice that I can have. I can look at this Heidelberg Catechism and go, who talks that way? But you will never know the opportunity you might have on the street or at your job or somewhere where someone say, oh, you're a Christian. You know, I've been thinking about the communion. What does that mean to you? You ought to be equipped. You don't have to say verbatim all those lofty words or those long, eloquent words. But you ought to know scripture to get you there to be able to explain. And that's what that tool is. It's just a teaching. And so I challenged you this year. Like, take it and learn. And if you have questions, let me know. Or ask someone here. Same thing with the Friday night book. Don't get discouraged if you can't get through the work. Listen, your flesh is not going to want to sit down every day, open up a book, look at the lines, and fill them out. You're going to be thinking of this. You're going to be thinking of that. You're going to be over here. You're going to be over there. You're going to be like, I don't want to do it. This is too much. Let them do it. No, no, no. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. No, flesh, you will sit down. You will read it. And I remember years ago when I started my Christian life. And you'll read it again. By God, you, you and your mind, is, my mind would be all over here. I'll get up then. I'll get up and we'll walk. And we'll read it out loud. You want to contend with me? You want to fight with me, flesh? You want to keep me from feasting off that which is for me? Oh, no. You see, you've got to understand that nature, you all. It wants to devour you. But Christ is revealing himself to you, saying, come from there and come to me. He's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of your mistakes. No, he says, come and be free. Come and live a full life. Do you understand? You are destroying yourself. But I've come to give you life and life in abundance. So don't be led by the enemy. Don't be enticed by this world systems. And do not give in to your flesh and its desires. Learn of me. Trust me. So listen, I'm just encouraging you all. We all can look around. And the majority of us here in this fellowship, the reality is, is we're not the most educated. And that's okay. Like, you hear that? That's okay. And that's what I think is so awesome sometimes. I say, God... 
We are a ragtag bunch of people. <laughs> but God, it's okay. Like, because look what you're doing through us. Like, really. Some people on the outside are probably looking and be like, God, that people, <laughs> that church is a hot mess. But that's okay. It's okay. Because where else are you going to find it? Where else can people come in? Like when I, and I've used her as an example because I normally do sometimes. Like when I hear Doreen read, I go, God, that's so awesome. Because I know what that's done for her over the years of feeling intimidated to, to speak out or, or to read. But my God, she opens up her mouth and it's just like, oh, Jesus, about to preach. And she could just read. And she doesn't mind. That she may stumble over the words. Or when the carrier, someone may say, oh no, it's this way. Okay, thank you. And so I just go, that's beautiful. Like That's how it should be for all of us. I don't understand. You don't understand. But collectively, we can seek the Lord. We can open up, you know, Bible concordances. We can go deeper together. And we're not putting each other on this weird religious whatever. Like, what do you mean you don't know that Oh, you're not walking in the spirit today. You know, we're not putting people down like that. I know, but you, sh- sh- stop interrupting, Mama. No. Like when we're together and study and learning together, no, that's what it's about. So I, I, I think it's awesome. And I think it's awesome to introduce tools to us that challenge us, that challenge me. Like that, that, that challenges me when I read through that. Yes, I can get up and I can speak and I can share and I understand. But when I really go into depth in the scripture, I'm like, man, there's stuff I don't know. Like, that's pretty awesome, God. And so it just makes it even more richer for me. So I'm just telling you all, don't, don't do that to yourself. Please don't do that to yourself. When tools are being introduced or studies are being introduced... Or as we're going through scripture, you can hear everyone say, yes, yes, amen, amen. And you're like, what? I don't even know what that means. Well, ask. Because again, your flesh wants nothing more than to devour you. Go to 2 Kings chapter 8. Got a few more minutes with you. 2 Kings chapter 8. We're walking through the Bible. And boy, Israel's a hot mess. <coughs> Don't forget, it, the, the Old Testament's important to your Christian walk. The Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. God set Israel aside to be His chosen people among the nations. He could have picked any other nation, but He didn't. He chose Israel. These will be my people. I will be their God. And through them, the one that I promised back here in Genesis, when you look at the serpent, says there will come one who will crush your head. It's the first time in Scripture Jesus is mentioned. God's plan. See, our our unbelief is not going to thwart God's plan. You don't want to believe it? That's your business. But it's happening. God set this nation aside for himself to bring forth Jesus to redeem all mankind. 
It's exciting when you can open, when your eyes have been opened, you can see God, look at your, your plan revealed. In the living book that governments are trying to destroy, people try to rewrite. But God, your word is established. It's going nowhere. He set these people aside. Remember, they didn't want him. They wanted a king. Give us a king. Give us a king. We want to be like the other nations. And God says, don't be like them. Don't go worship the way they worship. Give over to your sexual perversion. You see, these other nations, see, nothing's new. What we're seeing out here today, it's nothing new. It's been around. All the nations have done it. That's all the flesh knows to do is to give in to its desires. To be its own God. But God called these people. He has them for himself. They want a king? Well, I'll give you a king. And so they keep coming in and keep coming out. Keep coming in and keep coming out. We love you one day, but we're not loving you now. We want to look at the, we want to be like the other nations. These are God's people. They've seen God do miraculous things, and yet that wasn't enough for them. And you say, well, what does that do for me? It reveals that you're no different than them. Apart from Christ, you are going to give in to all of your desires. Remember, they loved religion. You will love religion. Remember last week I told you. And I said, through the prophet, God tells them, all your praying, all your worshiping, all your clamoring, keep doing it, but I'm not listening to you. That's what God says to them. You've made it about you. You've turned this into about you. You have forsaken me. You've neglected me. I'm supposed to be your God. And now through 2 Kings, we're seeing, we read about Elijah, the great prophet. Now we've read about Elisha, who replaced Elijah when Elijah was taken up into heaven. And we're seeing each of these kings rise and fall. We're reading that they, some of them have taken a throne and they tried to establish the things of God again, but they never, clear, they never fully clear out Israel of all the idols. And then we have the wicked king, Ahab and his wife Jezebel. She's a piece of work. Ahab is a very weak man. He's already dead. We've already read about his death. But Jezebel, she was running the show. She was a hot mess. And so we're seeing all of this chaos go on. And ultimately what it's going to lead to is captivity for Israel. God is going to use these other nations to discipline Israel. God is going to use them to take them captive and rip them out from the land that was given to them. And it's not God's fault. It's their fault. You see, God loves us enough to say, listen, you want to keep going your way? You want to keep doing you? You want to keep giving in to your desires? You want to be like all the rest of the world? Okay, then I'll turn you over to it and it will become your God. That is what you will serve. And if that is what you want, that is your choice. But I'm here. If you would just return to me. And that's what I love about God. He says, but if you would just return to me, everything will be made right. Everything will be made new. There's a wholeness and a healing that would come to you. But you keep turning over 
and you keep going your way, oh, captivity will come. And so as we're reading, we see that. And so I'm not going to read all of 8 and 9. We're supposed to go through 9, 13. But I just wanted you to see that if you haven't read it, it's a hot mess. You know, God, one king gets sick. He asks to hear from God through the prophet. And God tells through the prophet, oh, he'll live. But, but then the man who delivers the message to him kills the king the next day to become king. Oh, these people are a hot mess. Then Elisha, let's go to verse 7. Elisha, the prophet, went to Damascus, the capital of Aram, where King Ben-Hadad lay sick. When someone told the king the man of God had come, the king of Hazal, take a gift to the man of God, tell him to ask the Lord, will I recover from this illness? So Hazel looked down, I mean loaded down 40 camels with the finest product of Damascus, as a result, as a gift for Elisha, he went to him and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, has sent me and asked, Will I recover from this illness? And Elijah replied, Go tell him you will surely recover, but actually the Lord has shown me that he will surely die. Elijah stared at Hazel with a fixed gaze until Hazel became uneasy. Then the man of God started weeping. What's the matter, my lord? Hazel asked him. Elisha replied, I know terrible things you will do to the people of Israel. Now listen, this is the prophet speaking to this guy. You will burn their fortified cities, kill their young men with the sword, dash their children to the ground, and listen to this, and rip open their pregnant women. Hazel responded, How could a nobody like me ever accomplish such a great thing? Listen to this. Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you are going to be the king of Aram. When Azel left Elisha, he went back to the king and asked him, and the king asked him, What did Elisha tell you? And Azel replied, He told me that you were surely recovered. But the next day Azel took a blanket soaked in water and held it over the king's face until he died. Then Azel became the next king of Aram. And God is about to use this man to punish Israel. In such a devastating way. And so we see all that. We see how God is moving in and out. Bringing about ultimately his purpose. That the people that he has called for himself will, will return to him. You see, that's as you're reading this, this is what you're getting. God's desire is that you will return to him. God is going to allow Israel to experience everything that she wants in hopes that she will return to him. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16. And on Wednesday night we'll go more into 2 Kings when we're together. But Acts chapter 16 is where we're heading now. Paul and Barnabas, they are on their missionary trips. Acts 
Acts 16, 16 through 40. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These are the servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This is what that demon was using that vessel of that broken woman to do. Mocking. The mocking spirit. Carrying on. Running amok. Announcing that which was true. But it became to irritate Paul. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and instantly left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities of the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob. Look, look how the enemy, look how things twist quickly. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. You think the enemy's playing you all? You think he's not coming after the church in full force? You think you're not going to have to endure hardship because you're a believer of Christ in a world system that hates Christ? You think you're not going to have to face temptations and and desires and groanings within your flesh desiring to master you? You better wake up. This is an all-out spiritual war. And for the sake of Christ, you're going to be hated. People are not going to be happy and elated that you're coming with good news. They hate it because they hate him. And if they hate him, they're going to hate you. They drug these men who did no harm. They did no harm. In fact, they set a woman free. And now they're going to pay the price. They're beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then, not only that, then they were thrown into prison. The jailer ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. It was a very uncomfortable place. They were severely beaten for the sake of Christ. They were chained now into the darkest pit of the dungeon. Where some commentaries said it was where also where they were probably sitting in and in and in feces and just junk that was flowing down. Did they complain? Did they murmur? Did they fault fine? Did they say, why, Jesus, why? No. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. 
And suddenly, and suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. God was going to set his men free. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself because he knew that they were going to kill him. (laughs) The officials, if they would have came and the prisoners weren't there, the jailer was dead. So he went to kill himself, but Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at the hour of the night, even at the hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he, oh God, hear this, and everyone in his household, as we saw before Lydia, um, but everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household, look at this, rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the, the police to tell the jailer, let, the, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers, and listen to this, and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. Paul and Silas, man, come on. They're no different than you and I. If God can use them, God can use us. And if they can endure the hardships that they face and keep worshiping and praising God, and not only that, but caring for the church to see other believers encouraged, like, come on, let's be the church. People filled with the Holy Spirit of God, getting through all the trials and everything we're going to have to face until we get to the other side. There's work to be done. It's not time to remain asleep. It's not time to remain caught up in the flesh. It is time, you all, to wake up. What can we learn? They were severely beaten, but they didn't grumble. They didn't complain. They worshiped and they prayed. It would do us some good to begin a prayer life and begin to worship God, to know our God, and to trust our God. That's what's being displayed here. Not because, oh, it's a nice story. No, because he's saying, that's if I did it for them, I'm going to do it for you. So you can get up this week, no matter what's ahead of you this week. And you've always heard me say this. It can't be got down because we're sitting in church. Now, you're going to get a phone call maybe this week. Or you're going to face some devastating news. Or maybe something, whatever, throws you off guard. How are you going to respond? Oh, that you would respond if you're a Christian as a Christian. 
and worship your God and pray to him. Trust in him. Believe in him. Seek him. Because you know if you seek him, you'll find him. If you'll seek him with all your heart. Go to Psalm 143. Psalm 143. We're coming to an end. Psalm 143. I've been encouraging all since we started walking through the Bible to allow the book of Psalms to really encourage you, to remind you to look up. Don't look out. Don't look at your circumstances. Listen, if you keep your eyes on this mess that is before you, it will continue to grow. You got to look up, y'all. I don't care what is going on. You got to look up. Because if you keep looking out, this will continue to define you. And every choice and every decision and every act that you continue to do will be based on what you see in front of you. And let me tell you, so you can hear it now, it's not going to go well for you. It will devour you and yours. That's why we must look up. We must look up together. These psalmists were real men. They were anxious. They were depressed. They faced sickness and disease, hardship, sufferings, enemies after them. But they knew their God. They knew their God. Hear my prayer, O Lord. The Psalm of King David, you all. Listen to my plea. Answer me. Because you are faithful and righteous. Don't put your servant on trial, for no one is innocent before you. My enemy has chased me. He has kicked me to the ground and forces me to live in darkness like those in a grave. That's where David spent a lot of his time being chased. Hiding in these caves. And listen, I'm losing all hope. I'm paralyzed with fear. I remember the days of old. I ponder on your great works. I think about what you have done. I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as parched lands thirst for rain. Come quickly, Lord, and answer me, for my depression deepens. Don't turn me away, or I will die. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I'm trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I run to you to hide me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. For the glory of your name, O Lord, preserve my life. Because of your faithfulness, bring me out of this darkness. In your unfailing love, silence all of my enemies. Destroy all of my foes, for I am your servant. Come on, you all. If you're not encouraged by that, Lord Jesus, would you just go read it again? (laughs) Sit with it. Read it. Know your God. So we don't live in this weird false reality that we don't have problems, that we don't face issues. No, the reality is, life is going to suck. 
things are going to happen that just is beyond our comprehension. Things are going to keep trying to knock us off the path of life. But stand firm and know your God. Go to Proverbs 17. One nugget of wisdom I'm going to throw out at you. Proverbs 17, verse 26. It is wrong to punish the godly for being good or to flog leaders for being honest. Oh, that we would do that which is right, you all. I'm going to close this with this last song of worship and then I'll close this in prayer.
Thank you, Lord.